All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Modern Commerce. I am here with some of my co-founders and co-hosts. My name is Roger Emmer. I am joined today by our co-founder at Remy Labs, Brant Choate. What's up, Brant? Hello, hello. And our chief executive at Remy Labs, Doug Barnett. Hey, what's up? What's up, Doug? How are you guys doing? I'm great. Awesome. So for those of you guys who are new, who didn't catch the first episode, go back and catch that. It tells a little bit of our origin story with our NFT project. But for those of you who are new, we are partners at Remy Labs. Doug, you've been pitching Remy Labs a lot. How would you pitch Remy Labs in one sentence? Remy Labs is a technology platform that helps turn your website into a social app. Ooh, I like that. So there's a lot of technology aspects to that. Everything from speed, really high quality of technology build, algorithmic learning, machine learning. Most websites just don't have the capability of doing. Most e-commerce brands don't have the ability to do a lot of the really high touch technology build. That's what we're trying to come to market with. Awesome. Brent, what would you add there? Yeah, I think just like talking to brands, it struck me that they do a lot more interesting things on Instagram and TikTok and some of these other apps just because it's easier, um, particularly when it comes to doing video content or just more engaging content in general. And in talking to the owners, as Doug mentioned, it's just obvious they're not really staffed to build more interesting application like sites. It's more about basically like e-commerce is currently stuck in this world of making a print website, like a print-based design website. And I think that the technology is sitting there where we could do a lot more interesting things. I like to describe it, as we've described it a few times, as a modern e-commerce toolkit and platform. Remy was actually a company that went through a, a startup accelerator called Y Combinator. And that's we're going to talk a little bit about that experience today. I think a lot of our listeners probably know what Y Combinator is, but for those of you who don't, it's a startup accelerator. I think it's been around for 15 or so years. And a lot of really big tech companies have come out of Y Combinator. Companies like Stripe, Airbnb, DoorDash, Coinbase, Instacart, Dropbox, Twitch, Reddit. Those are some pretty big names. And Remy Labs, of course. Get ready to edit the Wikipedia page here, guys. We went through that. This was actually your second time, Brant, going through Y Combinator. Not as a founder, but yeah. you participated with Podium, right? Yeah, they. I was like the 10th employee there or something like that. But I was leading product at the time. And we went through a little bit later than was normal, I would say. Mm -hmm. we think. I think we already had about 500K in, in revenue when we started and 10 employees. Mm -hmm. But we all went out and lived in a house in Mountain View together and did the whole um, work out of the garage. Nice. Silicon Valley dream. I want to hear some stories about that. So yeah. it's changed a little bit, obviously, mm -hmm. post-pandemic era. We participated in it, in, in it through a, ba drape, a basement in Draper, which is super exciting. Where we are now. Where we are now where the dreams come true. And it was all remote, so it was a little bit different. And we'll maybe have, I'll ask you to compare and contrast that a little bit um, later, but let's talk about how you get in. So Doug and I actually didn't go through the application process. Mm -hmm. And I think I heard you say that they had said like 20,000 people applied to the yep. winter batch. Mm -hmm. And how many people got in? I think we had 350. 350. So 
still a lot of companies going through, but as a percentage of applications, very small. Yeah. Wh- whatever the math turned out to be, I think they said it was less than 1% mm-hmm. is what they end up accepting. Yeah. Okay. So you applied. Tell the story of how you applied because this is a little, I think it was like after the cutoff or something. How did that go? Yeah. They have an official cutoff date. And then there's this like unspoken thing where you can still apply afterwards, but you maybe have slightly less chance of getting in. And we had, Dan and I had decided we weren't going to do it. And then we changed our minds during Christmas break. And we applied, I think the very actual last day that you could apply. And we, they just send you an email back that says, Hey, this sounds interesting. Let's chat. And they set up a time to interview and the interview was scheduled actually the, the day before Y Combinator was supposed to. So that was the, the lead up and the, the interview is essentially, they don't tell you much about it. And this was a part that I didn't really get to see much of the first time, but you log on to this zoom call and there's six of the YC people that are sitting there and Michael Seibel, who is in charge of YC at this point, is sitting in the middle and he's one of the founders of Twitch. And if you're in the startup world, he's someone that you know who he is. Mm-hmm. He's known for being very blunt. <laughs> and so they all pop up on the call at once and Dan and I are sitting there and they just say, all right, guys, let's get started. Tell us about your company. And there's just no formalities or anything. That's just their style. No small talk. No. And then they give you basically two minutes to explain what you're doing and they love to cut you off a lot and try and see how you react to it and we pitched it and got a call later that night and they invited us to to join how was how nervous were you on a scale of one to ten i this sounds strange but um i had been listening to michael seibel youtube videos to help me fall asleep (laughs) For the prior three weeks. Did you tell him that on the call? I, di- I didn't. I, I I'm sending t- that clip to him, dude. Yeah, I need to tell him that at some point. But he has this very soothing voice mm-hmm. as long as he's not getting mad at you. And I had been listening to it. And anyways, it just made the whole experience not feel very scary for mm-hmm. some reason. Nice preparation. Yeah. So I want to ask you a couple more questions. Do you remember what types of things they were asking you to try to maybe dig in more or throw you off your game or just test you as a founder? Yeah. So we pitched this a similar idea to, to what we just went through. And he just said, okay, there's a million ways to build landing pages. There's a million ways to build websites. What's the big deal here? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. That was one of the cutoffs. And we went through some of our non-obvious insights there, some of the technological technological shifts that have happened over the last year even and just how these companies are staffed and some of the gaps that lead to them spending too much time and too much money building their current websites and then as we went further into it it's just asking about okay then why you guys what makes you think that you have some ability why are you special yeah basically Mm -hmm. there's this it's i would say they're fairly standard investor questions why now why you what's your unique insight things like that yep awesome I wish I could have been there to see it, but I'm glad you guys took that bullet for us. After, Right after you got in, and actually probably during the application process, that's when Doug and I yep. started talking with you and Dan about potentially joining up. Mm-hmm. 
And so we got to ride on your coattails through the YC process. Doug, I want to ask you, first of all, like, what was your, what did Y Combinator mean? Like in your mind, you, I know you'd followed a lot of this stuff on VC, Twitter and things like that. What kind of reputation did it have in your mind? What was interesting about participating or not interesting about participating? Yeah, I'd been following Paul Graham, the founder of YC for years and years on Twitter and I'd watched from afar, not in the startup world, and really just admired the companies that came out of YC and knew that we had a couple of the big Utah companies, Weave and Podium, that went through YC. And I talked to Brandon Robin, the founder of Weave, a few times about their experience in Y Combinator. And so when Brant told me, he's like, yeah, we got into YC, it was that's interesting. <laughs> and then you... And then the calculus kind of started to, you know, go in my brain. What does this actually mean for the company? What does this mean for our funding? What does this mean for our ability to go raise yep. um, venture capital, all those things? And you begin to actually think differently than just, oh, this is a really cool place where founders can get together. And like you have these experts in venture capital that are helping you, but what does it actually mean day to day? And so I started to ask you know, a whole bunch of other questions that I'd never really even thought of before, because as a founder, you look at YC very differently than if you just look at it as an incubator from afar. Yeah. What kind of questions? What does, what does the safe document look like? You give up 7% of your company when you join Y Combinator and you get $125,000 of capital in return for that. But then, so I knew that already, mm-hmm. but then so what do you do day to day? What does Monday look like? What does Tuesday look like? How do they actually help you? Like, what do office hours do? What do group office hours look like? How do we virtually even start interacting with the other companies in our batch? I had no idea answers to any of those questions. Like, what is Bookface? And how do I get logged into this thing? And what do we use it for? And is the information useful? I didn't, like, none of that stuff had even crossed my mind. Yeah, I have some, maybe I'll get to a story on Bookface at some point. But I want to keep on this thread. So... You, we gave up 7% of our company. Now, traditionally, they gave you 125. This round was the first round, which was a little bit different. Brent, what changed? We actually got more funding from YC. Like, how, what was it before? And then what was this new program that they launched with our batch? 125 for 7% was before. And basically, they, added an optional round of funding that we could accept, which was an an additional 375 K and they basically give it to you at the valuation of the lowest amount of money that you raise in the future. So basically the first check that we took in from an investor that was not YC was the valuation that YC got for that 375K. Okay, so we got one 125 for 7%, and then we have 375, and basically we have this open note that they'll take another chunk of our company when we go raise. Is that another, another way to say it? At, at 375. So if we raised it 20, 30, 40 million, they would get whatever percentage of that. 375. Yeah, that's how we decide the allocation, like the valuation. But the way safes work, actually, they get the actual percentage of the company when we raise another priced round. That's how safes actually convert because they're convertible notes. Gotcha. Okay. 
the day-to-day, Doug, you mentioned this. I have some thoughts on this. I think one thing that struck me going through YC is there is a lot of information. And I just wonder how different it would have been if you were there in person and maybe there's like in-person meetups and you're going to office hours in person. But it felt to me like a scenario. It's very much you get out of it what you put into it because there's no one like, like you do have a calendar, but and events. How was it different this time, do you think? What were some of the cons of it being virtual? I think a lot of this might be personality-based. Virtual is hard for me, I would say, and I think for a lot of people just to find the same level of connection, especially the kind of serendipitous connections that I think tend to happen with a lot of YC companies. And even where I was not the founder in the in with podium i still got to go into yc and from time to time and interact with other founders that were there and we had these parties every week that people would go attend in the the bars in mountain view and mm-hmm. i think there's just a little more options to meet people that end up doing really cool things down the line yep that's it was it was tough for doing virtually okay so doug i want to you brought up earlier some of the questions in your head were, what is it like to be part of Y Combinator day to day? What are some of the, what was a day in the life? What was a day in the life of a YCE as we were going through it, especially being remote and talking about some of the challenges um, that Branch just mentioned? What I noticed was YC is set up specifically for founders with maybe a little bit less expertise or maybe a little less business experience, or they've just I just graduated college or I just graduated high school even sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of business experience and I need help. Yep. And YC is set up for even that level of founder, which is cool. We talked to this kid that was just graduating this year, Brent and I did, trying to get into the summer batch of Y Combinator. And in a lot of ways, I was really jealous of him. Mm-hmm. Like to get started that early on. I mean, I turned 41 this month. I know, old man. So I think in some ways, because it's set up for people with a lot less experience, there were some experiences where I felt for our team specifically, we didn't need to participate in all the activities that were going on. But for me, some of the most interesting stuff were the roundtable discussions that they would have with other founders Specifically in our batch, Paul and Jessica, the founders of Y Combinator got on. That was cool. The Collison brothers, the founders of Stripe, that was a really interesting discussion. The founders of OpenSea was very um, interesting. It looked like those founders were definitely holed up in their New York City apartments (laughs) even during the discussion. Brian Armstrong, the founder of Coinbase. So like getting access to those people in one place without having to like do anything and then have them specifically talk about how that what their experience was like growing their company was cool. Yeah, I thought that that was really it's like having a private Zoom meeting even though there's hundreds of people on it. You log on to this Zoom call just to paint the picture and Michael Seibel usually is the person interviewing him. It's like a private conversation between the two. And Michael knows a lot of the really interesting questions to ask because he's been around the block. And I think the 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 guests are maybe a little bit more open than they might be like on a regular podcast or something like that. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yep. <laughs> I would definitely say that's true. 
So you get to hear a little bit of the war stories. They know it's not going to be published to where everyone can go listen and you get a little bit of the behind scenes. Brent, what was one of your favorite things that came out of one of those interviews? Oh man. I don't know if I have a specific story that jumps into my, my head, but I do, I was pretty familiar with most of the public versions of those stories. Mm -hmm. I think even if you just take something like Twitch or Airbnb guys tell their story hundreds of times across podcasts yep. and you can go listen to the story of how they sold the cereal boxes and everything to try and bootstrap but they went a layer deeper on the yc version where they even talk specific numbers that they had in the bank at certain times yeah. and they're just going to be a little bit more forthcoming with with the details that give you a sense of how to actually compare yourself or get have some kind of idea or benchmark to go against yep whereas i feel like i don't know if i listen to something like how i built this for example it's cool but it feels like i'm listening to something that's i don't know only like 50 percent true produced yeah, yeah it's produced it's the and it's best just, version yeah it's just hard to relate to even though i'm a founder and they're a founder and I don't really know what I'm supposed to do as a takeaway. Whereas these talks are just a whole different ball of wax. It's all of the ugly truth combined with the ultimate success. Yeah. I, th I think the thing that stands out to me about the fireside chats with the other founders is you hear about these people, you look at their Twitter accounts, you see their public kind of persona, but you realize pretty quickly in these interviews, these are just people. Um, they're just normal people that founded companies. And there was a period of time, sometimes for even years, where these people were just as eager and just as hungry and just as desirous to go build something great. And it just happened to work. But there was many moments in that journey where there were doubts that it would ever work. And so that was, it's very motivating and, and cool to see that aspect of it. Mm, for sure. Yeah, I remember, without going into specific details, because I don't know what they've said publicly and whatnot, but Brian Armstrong's interview was really eye-opening, and Coinbase is in a rough spot right now, so we, we won't talk about it too much. Not a lot of interest in what he was doing when he was in, when he was in Y Combinator. And uh, to see, even through some of the struggles that they're facing, what has come out of that was really, is really cool and inspiring as well. Yeah, they were 2013, I think. Mm -hmm. really, I didn't... Really. I didn't really know anyone that was investing in crypto yeah. personally at that point. For sure. I want to also touch on kind of this camaraderie or cohort mentality. So I know a couple times throughout Y Combinator, we were able to link up with other startups. So basically there's 300 people and they break you into groups. You have a, a group of how many companies would you say are in it? I think Eight. there was... Yeah, eight to 10. And then they have leaders. So we actually got lucky or depending on how you look at it, but Michael was our leader along with. And so we got some access to the CEO of Y Combinator that not a lot of people got, which was really cool. But you get put in these cohorts, but there's also 300 other companies in, in Y Combinator. And one thing that I noticed that I thought was pretty cool is there were times, Brent, where you would come out of your office and be like, hey, I just talked to this company they're going to build this thing because we need it. And so you almost get built in network yep. where people help each other and there may be problems that you need solved, but it's not exactly part of your overall roadmap. And there, it, 
other people may be willing to go and do that thing for you. Yep. So it's in a way, it's like you have a built-in customer base of early startups, which is really... Yeah, and this was the hack for San Francisco for a long time. And I actually think it still exists to some degree. It's just a lot less than it once was. But you could be in one place and have the opportunity to... There, All those startups are more or less located in the same place in San Francisco and you could leverage off of each other in various ways Mm -hmm. that it just doesn't really exist anywhere else. And YC has created the same thing just in a more decentralized way. Yeah, for sure. All right. So YC kind of leads up to this culminating event called Demo Day. And historically, this would be something that's done like on a stage, you get two minutes, you go up and pitch your company. If you guys have ever seen the show Silicon Valley, it's like that when they do TechCrunch Disrupt. TechCrunch Disrupt. Yep. Shout out to Silicon Valley, by the way, if you guys haven't seen it or if you have, you should go revisit it. It's fun. It's a good show. So it culminates with this thing called Demo Day, which basically they have a network of investors who are interested in investing in YC companies, hundreds or thousands of angels and funds. And everyone gets a shot to stand up on stage. This case, it was virtual and say what you're all about. So Doug, you did our demo day. You were our pitch guy. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. Were you nervous? Was it not that bad because it was remote? But what was it like? What Give us the play-by-play. So basically what you get is you get 60 seconds and you get one slide. That's what you get to present your company. And that's it. That's all you ever get. And and so prior to demo day, you're required to pre-record your pitch and get your slide approved by your group partner. And so we went through that process. To be honest, we spent a lot less time than probably most people or maybe what most people think. But we didn't spend more than maybe a handful of hours like making sure that the slide was correct. And it's a very simple slide. It has like literally a four bullet point in pretty large font. And it's a four paragraph, one minute read that you memorize. And you memorize it and give the one minute pitch. And so on actual demo day, you log into a group Zoom call. And there's a list because there's so many companies going through it now, 350 to 400 companies. Were we on day one or day two? I can't remember. We were on day two, I think. Yeah, I don't remember. Anyway, and the way that it lines up, they're like, like, here's the list. This is the list that people are going. Some Some companies get to go first, some middle, some last. I think we were like one of the last five or 10 companies of our day to pitch. And so we were thinking, like, is anyone even going to be awake (laughs) by the time we pitch? Because there's no way these investors are, like, staying alert. It's hours long. Hours, because take 400 companies times two days, it's 200 companies times one minute and getting all the technology and all that. So essentially, you're placed in line. You have to pay attention as these other companies are pitching. And then when you're within, like, essentially five companies, so five minutes of when you need to go, you got to go get in the room and we could it's be funny to attach like show notes or stuff to this to show like our picture of what the room looked like mm-hmm. we set up these stupid ring lights like in this <laughs> basement on this standing desk and just to get the lighting had to make your skin look good dude yeah it's like when you've got a ginger for your pitch man like you got to do everything you can to make it look good 
But so like you, you stand in front of your camera and just wait until it's your time to go. And they don't even say anything. They don't warn you. There's no discussion. There's no texting. Like, are you ready? It's just like when your name is in, when it's your time, you have to go. Do you see yourself on the screen somehow? I can't, I didn't you, see that. You view. only see yourself when you actually get turned on. Yep. And that's one of the things. That's when you know to go. That's but. your cue to be like, okay, you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And it's, you don't say, can you hear me? Yeah. They give you a whole bunch of stuff. They don't use AirPods. Get a, get a mic. Test your audio, do your hair, like they do all sorts of like <laughs> things to help you make sure that you're like prepared because I'm sure there's some war stories yep. on this virtual. That for me, at least, this was part of the cool factor for like virtual YC was I imagine like in traditional Y Combinator going up on stage, it's like a full day of you have to sit in a big room and yeah. you got to get dressed up and yep. you got to get on stage. Whereas for us, to be honest, for most of our demo day, we were just working yep. mm-hmm. while everybody else was presenting. And then about 20 minutes beforehand, like we were there, like reciting my lines. Do you, you know? think you could say it if we asked you right now? I don't think I could. I could probably fumble my way through it, but... Um, we have a recording. Maybe we'll post that somewhere. Yeah, we have a recording. I think it's out it. online, actually. I'm not sure. And like the only thing actually going through my head was like, just don't screw it up, dude. Mm-hmm. It's not. This is not that hard. It's one minute. Yep. So I wasn't nervous. I just wanted to make sure I remembered. So I have this big screen. Like I had my lines below just in case I did yep. forget, but didn't need them. And yep. it worked out. And what is crazy is, so there's now they do two versions of Demo Day, one for investors and one for alumni of Y Combinator. And they use your recorded version of your pitch with the alumni. And I think Demo day was on a Tuesday for us. Yep. Yeah. And they released the the alumni got access to us the Saturday before demo day. Mm-hmm. And I remember this is like late March. So I remember for some reason we were doing, I was out in my yard, like getting the yard oh, ready yeah, for yeah, spring. Yeah. And these emails started pouring into my inbox. Mm-hmm. I was like, what happened? Well, guys, oh, it's like alumni demo day. And mm-hmm. p- people just, people that were YC alums were starting to come into our inbox but they came in two ways. One was like they can basically give you a heart yeah. on Bookface, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, we like you. We think you're cool or you're support. Like thumbs up. Yeah, great job. Nice We're job. proud of you. And then the other one is I actually want to invest in your company. I didn't know the difference at the start. Yeah, so I, was like, I remember Wait a minute. this. Doug was freaking. He's like, guys. I was like, we got 60 people, <laughs> 60 alums that want to invest. It wasn't nearly that. I think it was like 10 or so. But then investors get access to your profile on demo day, and we started to get things trickling in before we presented mm-hmm. probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 requests from investors. Yep, yep. But the second we presented, like as soon as it was done, like 100 emails came into our inbox that moment. I think we had 175 inbound requests yep. total mm-hmm. yep. overall. I think your email inbox starts sounding like that lottery thing. It's- yeah. So that was cool. It's a little overwhelming. It's like, how do we get through these? How do we prioritize them? How do we make sure that we're responding to the ones we should respond to instantly? So that was interesting. I don't know if there's a perfect system there yet when you have 175 inbound requests in one day. It's very hard to write personalized emails back to all of those people. So I don't know if I, we have great advice there, but it's a crazy day. Mm-hmm. And then that was basically, there's stuff that happens post-demo day, but really that was it. Yep. I love that you glossed over this. I'm just going to click in here. 
the inside baseball, you do go through this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And they're like, if something goes wrong, just stand there and smile and we'll move the camera off of you. But I remember Michael, and Michael has this way of when he's like explaining things to do, he'll talk to you almost like you're a four-year-old or something and he's just very straight. He goes, do not use AirPods. (laughs) 99% of the problems are from AirPods. Okay? Don't use AirPods. They actually, like, it. the very start of Demo Day, you have to, like, basically do a camera check yeah. with them and they ask you are you wearing airpods <laughs> so they've definitely had some horror stories nice. so i want to touch on a few other things here basically demo day is the capsule of the yc experience but then you get all these people hitting you up doug you did a lot of the fundraising for us brent you helped as well so chime in here but how do you think it was valuable to have the YC name attached to us? Did we end up taking money from people in the YC network? What is that? What are those meetings like? Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the we probably took, I don't know, somewhere around 50 to 60 investor meetings from YC. And they actually, this is maybe something we could talk about just a little bit more inside baseball and like, in the discussions leading up about fundraising, when they're talking to you about, this is how you should think about fundraising. They will give you like, this is the success rate on pitch meetings with funds versus angels. And they're like, guys, like you should primarily be raising from angel investors. Your hit rate on an angel is going to be much, much higher than on a fund. And it's somehow, sometimes it's a little bit difficult when you get an email in to know exactly if this is like a big fund or if this is just like a couple people that kind of do angel investing. But we took probably 50 to 60 meetings. We probably had about five people from that 50 to 60. So about 10% actually invest in the company. And there have been these seminal moments of you, you don't know how much to go raise. You don't know So having someone that you can ask that's very experienced that you can ask those questions to that's done this hundreds and hundreds of times was really valuable. And I think for me, if I was going to go back and look at our Y Combinator experience, I'd love to hear what you guys think. I would say between Demo Day, the access to the investors, and then also just access to Michael as our group partner is worth the 7% of our company that we gave up or with the $375,000 safe with the MFN clause, the whatever, the 10% or the mm-hmm. 8 9%, whatever it ends up being, I think I'd do it again. Yeah, I think for sure I would as well. I think the thing that is maybe non-obvious, and even if you have the experience that we talked about a bunch, is just the pacing and sort of the check-ins that they have built into YC. While you're starting a company, and especially at the very beginning, it's hard to really know where you should be pushing towards and when. What are the milestones that you need to be hitting up against? And they push you up into pretty aggressive milestones that I just don't think most people would even think to set for themselves. And then you have that accountability every week. Like we had to go check in and say, what was your goal last week? Okay, how did we do? And that kind of accountability and having it be with Michael, who... If something didn't go right, we could actually talk real quickly about slight adjustments to make. I think those are huge unlocks. And even just now today, 
with as things come up. We're still in Slack with them. We can quickly ask questions and things like that. So getting unblocked on things that are maybe non-obvious were was like a big thing for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think there were tons of benefits. Some that we haven't talked about is you mentioned Bookface. I guess that's a play on Facebook. It's this really archaic looking website, <laughs> but it's like social media for YC founders. That's how I describe it. And I just wanted to share a couple stories. One thing that I thought was really interesting, I think a lot of our listeners may know that crypto and NFTs are part of what we do. And so the first time you pulled up Bookface, I was like, just search for NFT. And you search for NFT and there was this post that said, these, it's like a message board, like this old school message board thing. And it was like, the subject was like, my NFT is blowing up, I need help. Mm-hmm. And we clicked on it and it was Dmitry Cherniak, who has one of the most successful generative art projects that's launched called, and it's called Ringers. And he was literally talking about Ringers. He's like, hey guys, so I did this thing called Ringers and it's blowing up. Is there anyone that can help me? I don't really, I'm not sure what, I don't remember what he said, but he's asking for some help. Yep. And the first response was from the founders of, of OpenSea. Yep. And they're like, hey, hit us up. Yeah, we can definitely help you. And this was before Ring, Ringers now sell for a couple hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, even more in their peak. And this was when they were much smaller than that. So it was just really funny and cool to see that chatter happening between people behind the scenes. And then another thing for us too, there's been, we've now gotten into contact with OpenSea with some of the things we're doing. The very first time we did, we were able to use Bookface to, you know, go in there and find some contact info. And we reached out for some help and they replied within 10 minutes and got us connected with the right people. So There's a lot of benefits within that network, I would say as well, that will be long lasting. Doug, back on the investment side, from the people who didn't come from the YC network, did you find it beneficial to be able to say we were a YC company as we were talking to those folks? Yeah, especially people that are serial investors in startups. There is a certain understanding if you get into Y Combinator that it's really hard to do. And there's a a sifting process, similar to like college applications. Okay, I went to Stanford or I went to Harvard. There's that type of effect where it's okay, there were 17 or 18,000 companies that applied for this and you were one of one or 2% that actually got in. So yeah, there's a level of understanding that a halo effect, if you will, from getting into YC and there's definitely benefits to that as well. All right. So we're all in agreement. We would do it again. Let's part with just some advice. If anyone's listening to this, wanting to get into Y Combinator What are some things they should be thinking about to help them get ready? I think we've had a number of these calls actually already where people are hitting us up for advice. Yep. The number one thing I see is that they cannot explain what they do clearly. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest impediment to everything else. And so they'll be panicking over all these auxiliary details and that just probably don't matter as much as just being able to concisely state what they do. That would be like my number one thing, I would say. This is part of the weekly check-ins. You actually have to have, yep. is it a two-sentence pitch? Is yep. it? And at the beginning of every week, you all go and you say your thing and Michael's like, nope, that's dumb or say this, I don't get it. It's pretty brutal actually. But after three or four weeks, you get it down pretty clearly, I think. So I think that's great advice. Yeah, and it's, 
I think that there's actually a deeper reason that they do that as well because it just tends to signal that you haven't maybe quite figured out a unique insight or you haven't gone deep enough down this idea maze that people like to talk about where if you can't really boil it down into two or three sentences, you're most likely not going to be able to do that for customers, for investors, for people you're trying to hire. And if you can't do that, then you don't really have a venture scale company. Doug, any last thoughts on how looking back, what to prepare for if you want to get in? I would just, if I were looking to get in, I would spend like, this is coattailing on what Brant said. How good your deck looks doesn't matter. How much you've prepared for the interview doesn't really matter. What matters, are you talking to customers? Are you talking to people? Are you solving a real problem? And can you concisely reiterate what that means to people? And if you can do those things, you're going to get into Y Combinator. And so focus on exactly what YC says, which is build something that people want. And if you have, that's going to be the foundation for you getting in and participating in the program. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. Everyone, thanks for joining us on episode two of Modern Commerce. We'll catch you next week.